we get to begin this new series, uh, the book of Revelation. And I, I know that as I, probably as many people are in this room, there's many feelings about starting a study through the book of Revelation. And I just want to start by confessing, even as an ordained pastor, I have done my best um, to avoid Revelation in large part because it has been so confusing, it's so hard to access, and just a lot of noise. And so um, I have read it before, uh, once or twice, but... And I've spent time in some parts that I'm more familiar with and they're easier to grasp, but that really getting ready for this sermon series is the first time that I've spent concentrated time just pouring over these pages, asking for the Lord to help me see and, and understand. And y'all, it is a tremendous blessing. So I'm very, very, very thankful for this opportunity, very excited for what the Lord is going to do in our midst and in each one of us as we come to him through his word in this place. Um, Henry Luce, I don't expect anybody to know who that is, but um, he was a magazine magnate. Does anybody know what the word magnate means? Yeah, okay, I didn't either, so I looked it up. But magnate is, uh, he's just a very uh, successful businessman in magazines. And so he was responsible for the publication, the, the invention and the publication of Time, Fortune, Sports Illustrated, and Life. So that's pretty pretty hefty uh, resume there. So because of that, because of he was the one behind these publications, um, he was thought of as one of the most influential men of his generation, because his ideas were shaping culture in such a tremendous way. And this the the last magazine I mentioned, Life magazine, was it was made to be this companion for Time magazine. So Time is the 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 week's news. And uh, Life was really this sort of new vision for a magazine that is the week's news in pictures. It was this visual depiction of what's happening in the world. And uh, if you're familiar with the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, um, they reference the prospectus or the vision statement for Life magazine. And that's what just sort of popped into my head. So I, I followed that rabbit trail to read the actual prospectus of the creation of of Life magazine, and he lists the need and the opportunity. This, this man, Henry Luce, was the brains behind this magazine, and he says, he, he references the dynamic power of pictures, and this was before most people had a TV in their home, and he, he talked about the dynamic power of pictures, and when they are edited by someone with a, a strong mind into a coherent story or an effective mosaic, um, it is a very powerful force. And he says, a mind-guided camera can reveal to us far more explicitly the nature of the dynamic social world in which we live. And so he's got this beautiful vision statement for this magazine. And I'll, I'll paraphrase some of it, but it, he says the purpose of this new magazine is this, to see life, to see the world, to eyewitness great events, to see strange things, armies, multitudes, shadows in the jungle and on the moon to see man's work, to see things thousands of miles away, things hidden behind walls and within rooms, things dangerous to come to, to see and to take pleasure in seeing, to see and to be amazed, to see and to be instructed, to see and to be shown. And he says this magazine will be the quote, biggest picture show on earth and most vividly coherent. And Life Magazine proposes to be the complete and reliable record of what can be known about the world. And as I, I believe that I was drawn to this because this is also a, a pretty great description of the book of Revelation. 
The book of Revelation is not the same as the other books of Scripture. It it is not a narrative form. It is a series of visions. It is a a vision and series of visions to be revealed to us. It is a pictorial, it is a depiction of things to come, things that are that remain unseen and hidden to us right now because we cannot see with our eyes as, as we are now all of the things that are happening in this world and all the ways in which God is working behind the scenes. The word revelation means it's an unveiling. It is a pulling back the curtain of things that we can't see but we need to see. Things that we need to see to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Uh, The necessity for the original hearers of this letter was that uh, it was written soon after 92 AD. The emperor uh, Domitian Uh, the Roman emperor ordered all subjects of the Roman empire to worship him as Lord and God. The Roman empire was renamed the everlasting empire and he was renamed the everlasting king. And everyone who was a subject of Rome had to go into temples created for his worship and put a pinch of incense on the altar and declare to say out loud, Caesar is Lord. So the author of the book of Revelation was the Apostle John, and the Apostle John could not do this because he knew that Jesus was Lord. And so he refused to offer the the sacrifice to the the Roman emperor. So he was, uh, what happened to him is what happened to everyone who refused this. He was arrested, he was banished to the prison island of Patmos, which was this island in the Aegean Sea 10 miles off the coast of Turkey, And he was to spend the rest of his days on earth on this rock quarry prison island. And so that is John's experience. Uh, This John the apostle who was called by Jesus, who witnessed Jesus perform many miracles, who was empowered by Jesus to perform many miracles himself, witnessed great things, witnessed God coming into people's lives and coming into the world in amazing ways. He witnessed terrible and terrifying things, watched Jesus go to the cross, but then he witnessed Jesus be raised from the dead. And he was a part of this movement of the early church in the book of Acts to see things happening on a scale, things that Jesus had done and and ministry that Jesus had initiated happening on a scale never before experienced through all of the apostles and all of of Jesus' disciples moving throughout the world in his power and his love. But now, John is an older man. John has spent years in this world that has been hard. And he is now under the authority of this Roman emperor, and he's been banished to spend out the rest of his days on this prison island. And and it's not just John, it's all the other followers of Jesus as well. Those who would refuse to throw the incense on the altar and declare Caesar is Lord, they were all likewise banished. Uh, Other Christians had been killed through these years. Um, Emperor Nero, there are so many uh, ways in which these followers of Jesus, these apprentices of Jesus have suffered and died at the hands of evil men. And so now John and all of the, the, the church of Jesus in all of the world is asking these questions. Where is God? If Jesus was raised from the dead, what is happening? Where is he? What has Jesus' sacrifice accomplished? And who is Lord? 
Because where I am right now, it does not feel like Jesus is Lord. It doesn't look like Jesus is Lord from what I can see and what I can hear and what I experience because I'm wasting away on this prison island just watching evil win. And I don't understand. And so that is the necessity of this revelation Our God, who is near, speaks into this moment in a special, unique way and gives John this revelation to give to all of his people for the rest of history until his return, including us. This this life magazine of the Bible, as it were. Um, This New Testament scholar named Eugene Boring, which is very unfortunate, perhaps fitting, I don't know, I've never sat under his teaching. He says this, I think this is really helpful for us. Just as in the case of visiting an art gallery, while commentary and explanation may help you, quote, get the picture and understand what it's about, language about the picture can never replace the message communicated in and through the picture itself. So I have a very interesting task as I am preaching through the book of Revelation, is I want to help understand, but there are things that need to remain as they are because that will undo the message of the pictures and the visions that we are given in this book. So uh, forgive me for any shortcomings I have in this, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is gonna lead us as we study this book together and see exactly what he wants us to see here. And just a note, as, as we go from this place, as you sit here and, and receive this word, and as you go home and you meditate and you pray and you study through Revelation on your own, uh, I would give you this encouragement. One of the things that kept me from Revelation, uh, like in going in depth in Revelation for a long time, was getting frustrated that I didn't understand everything. And I just felt like, if I can't understand everything, then how do I understand it at all? And just kind of walked away. But I would just put forth to you the idea of um, things like mathematics, physics, uh, fine arts. These things we know from our experience, you don't come to those things and understand them all at once, right? My ability to understand mathematics and the whole system, the whole universe that is mathematics and all of its depth and all of its greatness uh, will be different when I am a grad student in mathematics than when I am a kindergartner. And so there's this thing that's happening as we get more familiar with the word of God because Revelation, oh man, is, is chock full of references to the Old Testament especially. As we become more familiar with scripture, more of our ability to see uh, Revelation is unlocked, but also as we become more mature in Christ, our ability to see and understand what God has written to us in Revelation uh, will increase. And so as, as wherever you find yourself, Uh, When you come across things that are hard and difficult to understand, just take heart and and don't panic. Just take what you can take now and trust that the Lord's going to continue to reveal uh, when it's time. It would be foolish for a young child to come and and just be deflated and be like, I don't understand particle physics. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's not time yet. It's okay. And you're going to understand the things that you need to understand today because you have a God who loves you and who is your good shepherd and who is leading you in what you need and when you need it. And so that is where we begin. So if I would have our reader come up and we're gonna be reading Revelation chapter one, verses one through eight, if you wanna go there. 
And then actually as Rachel's coming up, uh, at the, at the end of this reading, uh, what is usually a pastoral prayer is going to be a corporate prayer that's going to be up on the screen that we'll pray together. Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, and by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Almighty and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Living Lord, as we now dare to make our way through Revelation, Will you please help us? Help us understand why you have spoken to us in this unique and strange way. Help us understand what it is you are wanting us to know and do. Help us stay true to your intent in giving us this book. And most of all, please help us meet you in it. You are the ultimate subject of this book. Amen. So, we embark on our study of Revelation to see, to see life, the world, great events, strange things, things hidden, things dangerous to come to, to see and to be instructed, to see and to be amazed, to see and to worship, to see and to be blessed. And the three things that I really want us to see this morning, y'all are loving this, the people who love these structures, three things. the three things that we're going to see this morning are really the, the three great themes of this book. Uh, these are the, the three things that we're going to continue to see every week as we come back to this. One, that there is more to life than meets the eye. Two, that God is very present with us in our suffering. And three, that Jesus wins. There's a, uh, a story that... Uh, a guy told that, that these uh, seminarians, these seminary students were uh, playing basketball. They, this janitor uh, the, of this nearby school would go unlock the gym for them so they could play pickup basketball and they would leave their books and Bibles on the, uh, the, the stands and the seats. And they started noticing that the janitor, while he was there, while they were playing, he would pick up a Bible and read it and, uh, and then put it back uh, before they ended their practice. And so one of these very arrogant uh, seminary students came to him and said, hey, I saw you were reading. What what were you reading? He said, oh, I've been reading Revelation. And the guy kind of laughed to himself like, this ought to be good. And he was like, well, did you understand what you're reading? And the the man said, yes. And he said, well, what did it say? He said, yeah, it's pretty clear. Jesus wins. Like, that's a pretty good description of the book of Revelation. (laughs) So first, there is more to life than meets the eye. Uh, Revelation really is meant to undermine our confidence in our own perspective and what we can see with our eyes. 
that there's so much more to reality than what I can take in from my limited perspective. The, the word revelation means unveiling. It means pulling back the curtain. It is a, it's an unveiling by Jesus Christ from God the Father through Jesus Christ, but it's also an unveiling of Jesus Christ because it's an unveiling of the things that are taking place even now that we can't always see, and it's, a, it's the unveiling of the things that will soon take place at the end of all things when Jesus returns. And so we can't separate the time and the events from the person because the time and the events are the person. It is the revealing of Jesus as he is now and will be. It's setting our current experience of life in the context of future realities unseen, but it's also setting the context of our experienced life in the in um, the realities that are now, that are also unseen. It is meant to be understood by everyone who is an apprentice of Jesus. You see, this is, uh, it says right here, right out of the, the gate, this is an unveiling that God the Father has given to God the Son that God the Son has given to all of his people through an angel, through John the Apostle. And the purpose of this is to make known, to show the things that must soon take place. This is not a cryptic decoding message. This is a pastoral letter that is given to us by God himself so that we can see, so that we can know, so that we can understand in ways that we didn't before. And it's not just to people with some kind of secret, special knowledge. It is to all of the church, all of the uneducated church of all ages. It is for everyone. And so, so the, the, the very fact that we, most of us, come to this book and think, well, we, who could understand this? Is... Um, We've been deceived. We, we don't understand what this is because this is clearly from our God to all of us in order to show us, to make known to us. It's not a secret anymore because of the way that he has revealed himself here. And what he is revealing is that there is another kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, that is breaking in on this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, this worldly kingdom, the kingdom that is under the power of Satan, the kingdom that you and I live in every day as we, we live, eat, and breathe in this fallen world, that there is another kingdom that is breaking in on this kingdom, and the pressure that we feel as followers of Jesus is the pressure of those two kingdoms, this, this heavenly kingdom that is breaking in on this earthly kingdom because they're opposed to one another. So there will be pressure, there will be pain, there will be suffering. But it is, it is to reveal to us that this will happen and will be fully revealed soon. And it also says in these first three verses that the time is near. So soon means suddenly. It means this, this complete unveiling is gonna happen suddenly, but it also means that it's now. It means that we are in the perpetual now. Ever since Jesus has come, we have lived in this perpetual now of the nearness of his coming. The time in human history between Jesus' two appearings. That is, that is the time that is near, the time that is now, the time that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And it's still here because he's still here. 
So we live in this space and, and we don't understand uh, soon in the way that, that some have misunderstood soon, um, thinking like, well, if this was soon back then, what does it mean that it's still not here? And we, we live generations later. Well, that's, that's not exactly the kind of soon we're talking about. In 2 Peter 3.8, Peter reminds us of this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's soon is not the same as my soon. And I'm very thankful for Christopher Nolan for helping me understand that. Because I think about movies like Interstellar, and I think about movies like uh, Inception, and I think about one of my favorite series, Stranger Things, with the upside down, and I think these are beautiful depictions of this reality that is more real than what I can see every day. Is that, you know, I think about Interstellar and that scene where Matthew, I don't even know what's happening in it, but it's, it's great. Matthew McConaughey is in outer space pushing books off a bookshelf for his, was it son or daughter or somebody? daughter and but it's like this it, what a great depiction of um i've been reading scientific american magazine um what a, what a great depiction of this reality is that the the spiritual world is all around us and we just cannot see it with our eyes and there are times that the lord pulls back the curtain a little bit and helps us understand more but that he is as near to us as matthew mcconaughey is to his daughter just pushing books off that bookshelf <laughs> darling. Um, but also like it's, it's the inverse of stranger things. Instead of the upside down being this scary, terrifying place, like we live in the upside down and it's the breaking through of this kingdom of goodness and kingdom of light and kingdom of beauty and kingdom of perfection that is coming. And we get tastes of it. We get glimpses of it. It's not news to most of you. Those of you who've been following Jesus, you see it. You see it happening in these little ways that are sometimes almost imperceptible, but God is saying it is happening and it will happen, and you can count on that. And it, it's happening now in ways that you maybe find as almost imperceptible, but they are huge ways in which it's happening that you cannot always see with the naked eye. And when he says the time is near in verse three, the word used for time there is kairos, which is a, a specific uh, word for time that means the decisive moment. This moment that all of human history is building toward is coming, that time, is near. It is very close and very present, but we cannot always see it. And so this book offers, you know, scripture uh, we know is a, a blessing for those who read and understand and keep what's written in these pages because this is God's word to us for our good and for his glory. But Revelation is unique as a book of scripture that comes with its own blessing. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What is that blessing? That blessing is encouragement, it's comfort, it's spurring on, it's emboldening, it's strengthening, it's sustaining. And that's what this letter is meant to do. And it encourages us with this message. God is very present with us in our suffering. We look at verses four through six here, um, this is a revelation. This is a, apocalyptic literature, as it's said. This is uh, revealing things about the last days. This is prophecy. John himself says this is prophecy. But don't miss this. It is also equally, if not more, a pastoral letter of encouragement to God's people, to the church. 
It says that this was revealed to John, and John is writing to the, the seven churches that are in Asia. Okay, and if you've read ahead, if you know in uh, chapters two and three of this book of Revelation, there are actually little letters to each individual church, each one of those seven churches. But here's the thing. There were many more than seven churches in Asia at this time. One of those, and and, and churches that aren't mentioned specifically, uh, that were of equal size and importance, like um, the church of Colossae. We have a a pastoral letter from Paul, the letter to the Colossians that is in scripture and they're not counted among these churches. So what's happening here? This letter, the whole thing, all chapters of Revelation were given to every single one of these seven churches, but also to more than these seven churches. That number seven, as we will come to find in Revelation, numbers are very significant in this visual depiction of reality that God is giving John to give to us. And the number seven is a number for completeness. And so when he says this is to the seven churches that are in Asia, he's writing to literal seven churches that existed at that time. And he's also writing to the complete church of Jesus Christ for all history from the time of Jesus' first appearing to the time that Jesus returns and sets everything right. And as we'll get into with those seven letters, um, everything that was happening in those seven specific real churches, uh, there's nothing that you and I are gonna experience at Midtown West or in any other church that we're ever a part of that is not covered in those seven letters. So it's this complete message to all of God's church around the world for all time here in this one letter. It is a letter to these seven actual churches and to Midtown West. And this letter starts with a familiar greeting, grace and peace. Grace to you, all who belong to Jesus Christ. Your God is constantly working grace into your life and peace. You have peace with God And you can have peace in your suffering and in your trials because there is good news coming. There's not only good news that you've already experienced of being reconciled to God and no longer being enemies with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but there is good news for the suffering that you are experiencing right now in this world, in this place where there is pain and there's evil and there is suffering. God is bringing you a message of peace because he is working in this world. And things will not always be as they are now. And it's important who the grace and peace is from. Because we can have grace and peace from our sweet grandmothers, and they wouldn't really be able to make it happen, right? But this grace and peace comes from who? From our triune God. And and John outlines who this grace and peace is from to remind us of who our God is. First, the Father the one who is, who was, and who is to come. If anyone thinks they are more powerful, if Emperor Domitian thinks he is more powerful, he is a man and he will die. His life will soon be snuffed out. But God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, was there before the creation of all matter, all time, and space. He is the one who dreamt everything into existence and spoke everything into existence with a word. And he is the everlasting one. He will long outlast all of the human kings of this earth. Because he is the only almighty, all-powerful one. That is who our God is. He is the God who has done amazing things in the past. He is the God who created this world, who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the God who is working in our lives now. And he is the God who will come and put all things right. 
Uh, this theologian says, says this about our God. History is not a haphazard sequence of unrelated events, but a divinely decreed ordering of that which must come to pass. It is a logical necessity arising from the nature of God and the revelation of his purpose in creation and redemption. We won't always see it. We won't always understand it. We won't always agree with it. But you can trust that everything is happening exactly the way that it is because it is the result of this sovereign God working out his perfect will for all of human history. It is from the Father. Grace and peace from the Father. Grace and peace from the Holy Spirit. This is a really kind of unfamiliar for us, the way that the Holy Spirit's talked about here. It says, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So are there seven Holy Spirits? No. Remember that seven is a, a number for completion. It is the complete presence of God through his Holy Spirit. Uh, in Zechariah 4.10, a book of prophecy from the Old Testament, we have written uh, that the seven eyes of the Lord that range through the whole earth, it's this idea of God's perfect and complete presence being everywhere throughout all of the world doing his will, making sure that his will is done. And so... This description of the Holy Spirit, he is uh, the seven spirits, he is the perfect presence, the Holy Spirit of God, who is, get this, always before the throne of God. He is always seeing the things that we cannot see. He is always seeing the God who rules sovereignly over all of history, and he is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. So the one who is in me always, never to leave me, is always also constantly in the presence, seeing this kingdom that's breaking in that I can't see before the throne of God. He is always there and he is always here. So God is very near. Grace and peace from God the Father, from God the Holy Spirit, and from God the Son, who is the faithful witness he is our model of how to live in this world of suffering. He is also the firstborn of the dead. He went first into this great and terrible mystery that is death and came out on the other side unscathed just as we will because of what he has done for us. And he is the ruler of all kings of the earth. If you want to be encouraged by that, read Psalm 2 where it says that all the kings of the earth are filled up in their pride and pomp and luxury, and they are setting themselves up against God, doing things however they want, and it says that God laughs at them and says, I have set my king, and you'd be very wise to bow and kiss his ring now before it's too late. And this God, this triune God, loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Think about the cost that that was for God to send his son to take our sin upon himself and to suffer on the cross in our place, do you think that the God who sent his precious son in our place has forgotten about us now? Do you think that the God who has done this cannot see you in your present suffering and is not working on your behalf to make all things right? It was too precious of a sacrifice. He is very near, he is very present, he is working out his will in this world and he has made us a kingdom of priests. That is why we suffer. That is how we follow him in suffering is he came into this world to save his people and he has left us here to be ministers of reconciliation, to bring home the lost sons and daughters of God, to be vessels for him to work through. 
And that is why we are enduring the suffering. To have purpose in suffering makes that suffering lighter. It makes it easier to endure to know that this is not haphazard, that the things that I am enduring are for the kingdom, are for the good of my neighbor who does not yet know Jesus, so they can have life in him. To this God be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And it will. There will be glory and dominion to him forever because Jesus wins. It says in verse seven, behold, which means pay very close attention to this. He is returning. And no one who has ever lived will be able to hide from him. We will all have to stand before our king. We will all kneel before our king. And what, what is said here, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, those who are most vehemently opposed to him, those who actually physically pierced his hands and his side with the spear and with the nails and all those of us who have done that in our own hearts throughout all of human history will be brought face to face with this living one whom death could not hold. We will be face to face with Jesus in all of his glory and those who are in Jesus do not have to fear that moment. But those who are not in Jesus would be very wise to fear that moment. The, the language that's used here pulls from uh, Zechariah 12.10 from the Old Testament. It says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. What is being said here? He's saying, I will give the gift of repentance. I will give the gift of repentance to these people that are mine who have rebelled against me, who have crucified my son so that they will turn and they will mourn their sin and they will run to him for life. And what John is saying here is that that is true and there's also a day coming where that opportunity is no more. It's all of the opportunities, which is infinite from the time of Jesus' first appearing to the time of his second coming, infinite opportunities for those to turn and to repent of their sins and rebellion against God and to accept him and receive him as Lord. There is a day coming when Jesus returns where that opportunity is gone. And John is not making light of this. In fact, he is respecting the reality that it will be terrible. It will be terrible because every man, woman, and child across the face of the earth, from all tribes, every tongue, every nation, there will be so many people who have refused to bow their knee to Jesus as Lord, and they will be wailing. And it will be awful. The sound of it will be awful. The realization of what has been brought down upon themselves will be awful and heinous. And even so, as awful and heinous as that is, it is also so appropriate and so awesome and so amazing that this Jesus who's come to be Lord over all human history, to put everything right, to bring his people to himself, to banish all evil, to banish death, like that has to happen. And it is worth all of, of the pain. And he's saying, that is why he's saying, um, even those who pierced him will wail on account of him. But even so, amen, may it be. Jesus, please come back. And then we see lastly here, God is the one who's given this message to Jesus 
to give through an angel to John, to all of his people. It's like, we see this a couple times in the book of Revelation. It's like God the Father has to re-enter. He can't keep his distance. And we hear directly from him in verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Like, remember, remember this. Of all the things you're experiencing, remember this that you cannot see everything as it is or will be. But our God and Savior is always near to us and he is returning to make all things new. Amen. So um, before we continue with worship, I, I wanna throw out this invitation, taking seriously the blessing that's stated in, in verse three of this chapter one. Uh, blessed are all those who read aloud and all those who hear and keep what's written in this book. Um, we're, we're talking to our uh, small group leaders and we're inviting our small group leaders to try to find a, an evening before groups start back where you can gather with your group and actually just go around and read, read Revelation in its entirety out loud to one another. Um, but you don't have to do that in a small group setting. You can do that with anyone. Just that you know, two or three people can get together at somebody's home and read this out loud. And my encouragement in doing this would be that you would pray and ask the Lord to help you see what he wants you to see in this. And don't worry about the things that you don't understand, but maybe spend a few minutes on the back, back end of reading this together, talking about the things that are clear that you do understand and to be encouraged by those things. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, here we are. We are so small, we are so frail, and yet you have decided to descend to us, condescend, uh, make yourself understandable, make yourself visible in these certain ways. There's some ways that we will not, not comprehend and, and not see uh, until we are with you um, in, your, in your glory and perfection. But even now, you invite us to look because you're pulling back the curtain to give us a gift, to give us blessing, to strengthen us as we live this life as your apprentices in this world for your purposes and for your glory. So Lord, would you continue to do that? Would this be a season in our body marked by great um, hunger for you and great satisfaction in you at the same time? Lord, would you reveal yourself to us in new ways? Would you give us the strength to meet you in that revelation and to obey you as you call us and invite us into new life. And we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.